could possibly clap and hear the lyrics too. You know? I left my drummer home because he played too loud. Well, you wanna go back to Egypt, where it's warm and secure. I am sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure. You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? Eating leeks and onions by the Nile. Ooh, a breath, but dining out in style. Ooh, my life's on the skids. Do but travel, and we sure travel a lot. Cause it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And they sure had a winner last night for dinner flaming manna souffle. Well, we once complained for something munch the ground opened up and had some of us for lunch Ooh, such fire as smoke
Yeah.
Well, we have here on the stage the remnants of the virtual show that TBA Theater did here in our space this past week. It was awesome to be able to accommodate them in that. And uh, I asked them to leave it so I could use it this morning. I need some help here in a little bit, but I'll let you know. Get Jason and maybe, maybe Brian can come and help uh, when we get there. But I also want to thank uh, all the tech crew for being here this morning and working through all the issues and details that seem to come up every week when there's so much tech involved. But they're doing a great job, and I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, we're blessed in that way. And certainly I'm blessed to have them here to help me out. And then I want to thank uh, Pastor Jason for uh, coming up with the, the idea for these next few weeks, three weeks of gripes-giving. Sometimes we feel like we've got a lot to gripe about, right? I, uh, the day that I wasn't winning this week uh, was car problems. And it also happened to be one of those days. I don't know, can anybody identify with this? Do you ever have a day where you just drop everything? Like, I mean, like, you know, you're just walking around and, and everything's like, Whoa. I, have, I, I will have days like that. It's usually when I don't have enough sleep. Um, and I, you know, I'll reach for something, and I'll, I'll grab it, and then I'll move before I really have a hold of it, and then it goes falling or flying or whatever. And uh, in the garage where the cement floor is, that happened to be my phone on that same day. It landed right on the corner and broke the whole screen. And then uh, I went to change the headlamp on Karen's car because I'd noticed that it was out. And it's the, it's the Durango. It's 2005. We've had it for a long time. We've, we've tried to take very good care of it, and, and it's still doing well for us. It's been making an odd noise underneath the engine that I couldn't figure out. It was mechanical, uh, but it wasn't related to the suspension. It sounded like something activating and doing something, and I just couldn't reason out in my head what it was. And So we'd planned to take it to the shop this week and get that diagnosed. And then I noticed that the front right headlight was out. And I'm like, well, I can take care of that. And so I went out, and of course it was bitter cold. And I forgot that in order to do this on the Durango, there are two bolts in the front of the headlight that you have to take out, and then another one that's inside a secret panel inside the wheel well that you have to take a nut off of in a hole about this big, and it's about that far away, and so you've got to get an extension up in there and turn the tire and take this cover off, and then you have to take the entire headlight assembly out to change the bulb. And every time I have to change one of these bulbs, I curse at the people who designed this because who thought this was a good idea? And so I got it out, you know, went and paid the money for a new bulb and put it in and it still didn't work. So put it all back together. A little gripey. I was griping. And uh, thought about what are all the reasons why that didn't work? This is odd. Um, you know, is it a bad bulb? That could happen. So I uh, had planned then the next day I was going to do this all over and I was going to take the functioning headlamp out because I know that bulb works 
and put it in the one that's not working and see if it was a bulb problem. But before I got to that, I needed to go and do some things, and so I jumped in the car and went and ran my errands, and about halfway through the errands that I was running, I thought I could see the mental picture, that little special cover that I had to take off to get to the bolt in the back. I didn't put back on. And where I had put it was sitting on top of the tire while I was working. And so I thought, well, I mean, it should be laying in the driveway, right? I mean, it's on top of the tire. I get in the car, I back out, it goes boom and falls on the driveway. It should be laying right there when I get home. And I get home and it's not there. I look all around the driveway. I look in the street about 20 times. My neighbors must have thought I was crazy. I'm out there like staring at the street going, I mean, it's like, it's like this big. It's, it's like, it's not tiny. It's, it's substantial. You know, did it fly off and bounce off the car and go in the grass somewhere? And then I thought, oh, maybe it fell off inside the engine compartment and it's laying up inside somewhere, which is actually a great idea. That is what should have happened. But it wasn't in there. And about three times during the day, I went back outside and looked around, going, it has to be here. There's no place for it to go. I know where it was sitting. And then I started to question myself. Did I, did I take it inside? Did I, did I carry it somewhere else and I just don't remember that I did that? So then I'm sort of looking through the garage and places where I might have set it. I go inside and look at my computer desk because I know it went in there and I looked up some things on the Google, you know, and, and I, it's nowhere. So I, I finally just give up. And, and so this, these all happen in the same day. The phone, the headlamp, the weird noise in the car, the the thing being missing, and, and I, I was just irritated, and I was gripey. And then the next day, I told Karen again, take my car to work, because your headlamp's not working, and it's dark in the morning. I'm going to see if I can figure this out. And I started to formulate some ideas that maybe the weird, chunky noise, which I now had, had des decided was the transfer case motor on the four-wheel drive system, which is not a huge deal. It's like one bolt. It's about an hour's labor. Not bad. I think that's what's making the noise. But how is that related to the, head, the headlamp? Are these connected to each other? Because it seems like they started happening about the same time. And where in the world is that stupid cover? Because, of course, then I get online, and you can't buy the cover. You've got to buy the whole thing for the wheel well, right? And it's got the cover right on, and it's right on the picture, but I can't have just that little piece. So she leaves, and then I jump in the car to go somewhere, and I drive to the end of our street. There's like eight houses between our house and the end of the street, right by the stop sign. And I drive by, and I, have, I just glance out my, my peripheral vision, and I see this little black thing laying in the road. And I went, Really? So I stopped the car and I backed up and I got out, walked around, and there it was laying about 10 feet from the stop sign, which is a long ways down the road. How, and I'm still going, how did it, how? How does, how does the wheel turn from the driveway to here with that, it's, it was sitting right on top. How does that end up down here? I didn't go look down there because why would it be down there? But I found it. And it wasn't broken. Have I put it back on the car yet? No. I have not. 
I think I hope it's still sitting on the seat in the Durango because if it's not now I don't know where it is. Um, but that's how the day went, and I was griping. And sometimes days are like that. Listen, you can identify. Sometimes weeks are like that, right? Or even months, and sometimes in our lives, those kinds of feelings can stretch into years. I, I get it. I want to look back at a time when the people of God were, were gripey and unhappy. And it's not a particularly happy story. In fact, he sang about it, uh, one part of it here in the song this morning, about manna. And then uh, another time later, after the story I'm going to read today, it's all containing the same one. They, they, they complain and God responds to them and then Moses prays on their behalf and then they're sort of happy but not really happy and then Moses pleads with God again and God in his infinite sense of humor says, well, fine, I'll provide some meat then and provides meat for them to eat and then they're not happy about that and there's a group of them who really get kind of mouthy with God and the ground opens up and eats some of them. But there's a lesson underneath of all of this story that I think would be important for us to to learn. So let's look at it. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Starting right in verse 1, it says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Now, if I remember correctly, Moses somewhere in this story tells God that he has like 600,000 people that he's taking care of. So the camp is big. It's a lot of people. The, the Israelites who have come out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they're now in the wilderness, they're wandering, and things are difficult. It's in the desert, so, you know, food is not plentiful. It's not like they're, they're farming and growing fields or anything at this time. They're depending on God, and uh, they're, they're not happy. Now, some commentaries think that there's a contingent of people in here, if you, if you look at the language, that you have the Israelites, but then you also have some Egyptians who came along with them, and even maybe some people from some other lands that they've kind of picked up along the way who are not the children of God, but they have joined themselves with the children of God, which means they're expected to revere God and respect God in the same way that the Israelites are. And that maybe those are the ones who were complaining because it says, on the outskirts of the camp, the fire consumed the camp, that the Lord's anger burned against them. And the immediate question we have to ask is, does this mean that God is going to punish people every time they complain? Well, we see other stories in the Bible where that is not the case. God hears a complaint and he responds in a merciful and kind way. So what was different about this complaining than other complaining? And what should we be careful of in our own lives, in our interaction with God? Because uh, is God able and is sometimes God willing to chastise and discipline his children? 
The Bible says he does. In fact, he says he would be unloving if he didn't sometimes discipline us, if he didn't sometimes chastise us. And so what's different about this complaining than maybe everyday rudimentary, ordinary complaining? And I think the thought here is we're seeing this story at, the, at a point when God has shown so much provision for his people. I mean, he's rescued them out of the hand of slavery. Pharaoh, Egypt. Uh, so The slavery so bad that Moses, remember, Moses had gone and hidden in the desert for decades because he was so angry at how terribly the Egyptians were treating the Israelites that he murdered a man. And then he ran and hid. So God rescues them out of this through miraculous circumstances at the shore of the Red Sea where he parts the waters and they walk across on dry land. Pharaoh's army comes after them and they're swallowed up by that water and the Israelites are saved. And then he's providing this cloud by day to shield them from the heat. He's providing a pillar of fire at night that they can follow so they don't get lost. He's providing them food. He's providing them water. He's providing them his instruction and his presence through Moses. And yet in all of that, they turn around and complain about God's provision. And this would appear to be something that God does not see in a favorable light. So it's the difference of, I'm discontent with my circumstance, and I am discontent with how God is dealing with me in my life. I am unhappy with a chain of events in my life because they're not particularly enjoyable, versus... I don't like God's decisions, and I really think I could manage him and he would do something better. In fact, God, why don't you listen to my ideas and you follow my lead? That's ultimately what's happening here. And so what happens, this fire comes, it consumes part of the camp, the outlying part of the camp, so God didn't rain his judgment down right in the middle of everything. He's sort of like, he's, he's, he's like, in fact, it doesn't even say that people, people died in this, just that part of the camp was consumed. And it's like God's going, don't test me. You ever say that kind of thing to your kids? Don't push me, kid. You know, you get to that point where you've, you've dealt with their nonsense long enough, and now you're like drawing a line, saying, if you go past this line, it's going to be bad. So this happens. The fire consumes part of the camp. Then verse 2 says, then the people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. We see that interchange happen over and over and over again in Scripture, the story of Moses, where God, in fact, there are a couple of times where God goes, I am so sick and tired of these people. You know what, Moses, I've had it. I'm just going to wipe them out. And Moses goes, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Remember your love for them. Remember your mercy. And the Bible says that God relents. 
because Moses stands in the gap for them. Now, there are other times when Moses goes, I'm so tired of these people. God, would you just kill them? God goes, no, it'll be fine. I mean, you know, thankfully they weren't on the same page at the same time. It's kind of how it is. Karen and I talk about this at our house. Uh, we can't be out of sorts at the same time. One of us has to be like, okay, and the other one can be, but we cannot be that way at the same time. It'd be disaster. So the name of that place, that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Guess what Tibera means? Burning. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Here's where the, the Keith Green song comes in. Verse 5, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, we remember the fish and the cucumbers. I love cucumbers. I like some fish. Melons, watermelons. That's really actually what this is talking about from the region. Watermelons. Garlic. love garlic. It's good. I mean, never mind the beatings and the forced labor and that we had no money of our own, that we couldn't have our own businesses, that our children were taken into slavery, that our women were co-opted and treated like property and chattel and, and as uh, uh, sexual devices. Never mind all that. We just missed the food. It's like sticking a finger in God's eye for the good that he's done, for the work that he's done, for the salvation that he's brought. Because remember, they were, they were slaves to something. And the New Testament tells us that we, we were once slaves to sin. But through the redemption of Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin, but instead we become mastered by righteousness. We get to choose to be righteous. We can follow the direction of our new master who is a master who is loving and his, his mercies are boundless. His care for us is bottomless. His willingness to forgive us knows no end as far as east is from the west. He's the one who now wants to be the Lord and the master of our lives. And we get to choose to do that which is right instead of being a slave to that which is wrong. So we remember all this food, but now we're all like sad and there's nothing but all this manna to look at. What they, but there's nothing but all of God's provision. That's what, that's what the manna was. It was God's provision. And it says here, this is interesting, I've always thought of manna as actual bread. But they made bread with it. Because manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. People heard, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? All right, now this is where Moses gets a little gripey. This is one of those times. So remember, 
They weren't happy. God brought some judgment against them because they were, they were dissing God's salvation, discounting all the good that he had done and saying, look, we're out here in the desert and you've left us alone, except he hadn't. And then Moses prayed on their behalf, said, oh God, don't, don't be so harsh. Uh, remember, you know, they're your sheep, they're your people, they're, they're not the smartest, it's fine. Just give them a little mercy and God says, okay, fine. And then they're back to, but what about all that food we used to have? And never mind all the terrible things that happened. We just missed the food. And, and they're complaining to Moses now. And Moses goes, all right, you know what? I stood up for you before, but right now, he says, I go to God and he says, why did you stick me with these people? Moses was displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? It's like, God, why, are, why do you hate me so much that you made me hang out with all of these people? Did I conceive all of these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child? I mean, he's being pretty dramatic here, right? Carry them as a nurse carries a nursing as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may, I may not see my wretchedness. God, if you're going to treat me like this, just kill me. Same thing Job said, right? It's a similar, similar refrain. Oh God, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to suffer like this, why don't you just let me die? And I suspect, I mean. This mantle of leadership that Moses carries, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of giving it a light spin here, but this is, I, he feels this terrible weight for these people. And he sees their ungratefulness. Wonders why does he have to put up with that? What, what, what did he do that he's in this position? Now, if you go on and read the story, and I'd encourage you to do that through chapter 11 through into chapter 12, God responds, uh, gives Moses some help, 70 elders that he sets aside and, and sends the Holy Spirit upon, which, by the way, I've mentioned this before, there are many, many places in the Old Testament where we see that the Holy Spirit was not a brand new thing on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, God in his presence as the Holy Spirit, was there from the beginning. He is an eternal, triune being, three persons, but one God, all the same God. This is why some of our friends and some other religions here on earth get this wrong. It's why they're not truly Christian religions, because they don't believe that. They believe that there are three separate gods, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Ghost. But the Bible teaches us, without using the word Trinity, that they are one God, expressed in three ways. We see three aspects of him expressed to the earth in different ways. But the Holy Spirit was not new in the book of Acts. 
There are several other passages where the, the Spirit of God is mentioned in just the same way it is here. When you go on to read, it says that God caused His Spirit to come upon them. And so he gets some assistance, God hears him, and then God, in that way that only God can be majestically funny, answers their plea for meat and sends hordes of quail for them to gather. So much so that they get tired of eating quail and guess what they do? They complain about the quail. Man, I wish we had that manna that we had before. This quail is terrible. And that's when the ground opens up and God says, you know what? You're ticking me off. And so how does this relate to us today? It reminds me of... Um, Proverbs 26, verse 11, one of the more poetic and flowery verses in the whole Bible. Um, in fact, this whole section of Proverbs is interesting. Proverbs has a unique way in Scripture in that some of the chapters that we have marked, which, by the way, if you're not aware, in, in, in like the Textus Receptus, the earliest manuscripts, and some even that are older than that that have been discovered since, there are no chapter and verse numbers in any of these things. They were written as stories, as books, as letters. The chapter and verse numbers have really only been added so that we can reference them effectively and efficiently and quickly. And then sometimes they're separated by themes, right? So we can see that in the book of Psalms where we can see that this this section actually has some words that tell us there's a beginning and an end to this section, and so we can put that into a chapter. When we go to the Gospels, it, it's more usually by theme, like here's a, a story or a day and things happen, and we put that in a compact piece. But Proverbs is a little different because there are some places where there are clearly many of these verses that we have that are, ch that are chained together and they're connected to each other, and then there's a chapter like, chapter 26 is like um, words to live by one-liners, it's just like, bang, bang, here's another thing. Hey, here's a good idea. Hey, here's a thought. Hey, here's something you could do. And hey, here's another one. And here's one of them. Uh, words of wisdom, very poetic, very flowery. Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. It's a pretty picture, isn't it? I mean, have you, you've had a dog do that probably, right? I mean, we always, you know, <laughs> there's this dichotomy when you have a dog. You go, oh, look at him, he's so smart, he's so smart, look at him. And then you're like, oh, you're so stupid. Why did you do that? That's the dumbest dog I've ever seen. We have those conversations all the time, like, why, why are you being dumb right now? But of course he's not really talking about dogs here. He's just using that as, as an example. He's basically saying, look, when we want to return to what was, that was not good for us, we're really no smarter than a dog that goes back and has just <laughs> puked something up that made his tummy feel bad 
And then he looks at it and goes, I think I'm going to eat that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, as a person, we would never be that dumb, right? Oh, I want to get graphic, but I'm not going to because this entertains me. But, um, like, we wouldn't do that. I mean, you've been sick. You're not going back for that. But a fool who repeats their folly, and see, this is sort of a circular definition here. You say, well, I'm not a fool. Well, if you repeat your folly, guess what you are? You're a fool. And guess what fools do? They repeat their folly. And it's not just, it's not just sin. Like um, It's not just, oh, I've got the same sin that I struggle with all the time, although sometimes that's it. It could just be um, unrighteous thinking. And when I say unrighteous, I don't even mean like, oh, I'm filled with lust, or oh, I have thoughts of anger. I mean, the same thoughts that the Israelites were having were really like, oh, God, you've provided so much for me, but I hate it. I want something else. That's folly. It's a mistake. It's a bad direction. And I wanted to keep these props because I think some of these relate to that. Down here over on this side of the stage, got this camera, these screens here. It's like, I think this is where it starts with us sometimes. Is we've got this, we've got this internal camera that records everything that happens in our lives all the things that we've done, things that other people have done to us, decisions that we've made, bad decisions we've made, good decisions, sin, um, disappointments, maybe even ways in which we think somehow that God has not risen to our expectations or there was something that we wanted in one way and he, he worked it out a different way and we, we store all that and then we replay them sometimes. We get into this loop of replaying the garbage and we're like that dog, returning to our folly. Uh, we've used this verse many times here just in the past several weeks about how, in fact, I think uh, Pastor Jason spoke on this, and it was so good, that God's mercies are new every day. See, God, God doesn't mind. In fact, we see it, uh, in, in the example of it in Scripture where memorials are set up to what happened, like the thing they put up here about the burning, Tibera. They, they, they named it so that in, through the generations, they would know that that was the story connected to that place. But they didn't live there. They didn't go back and dwell there. It informed their future, but they didn't go back and be in it. And sometimes we make that mistake. We, we go back and we, we flip the camera on and, and we replay disappointments and all those things. And it puts us in that mindset where then when we start out, we just become inactive. Mm. You know what? I'm just going to not do anything. I'm not happy. I'm feeling gripey. I'm just going to disconnect. Unfortunately, even though that in itself is a bad thing, we tend not to just stay in that place. See, nothing ever stays the same. Even dead things change. You're either living and growing or dead and decaying. There's no in-between. There's no static. 
So even if we decide to disengage, whether it's disengage from God and go, I'm tired of you and I, I don't like what you're doing, and so I'm just going to ignore you, or with life, with our loved ones, with, with responsibilities we have, I, I fear that that tape just continues to run anyway. I don't think it ever shuts off when we're in that mindset. And then before long, we know, you know, many of us have spent time in a place like this. We get sick. I'm not going to lay down on this thing. You don't want to see that. But we find ourselves where we can't even sit up anymore. We're just laying down. We're ill. We're sick. I don't know if you've ever been in the hospital and spent a lot of time there for yourself or with someone else, but it can be a grim place. Filled with sadness, uncertainty, boy, especially in these times right now. I spent a lot of time at the bedside in hospitals with people who were sick and ill in their bodies and seen the desperation in their faces. Prayed with them as they faced uncertainty and, and the need for surgery that was so unexpected and, and turned life on a dime. But I think that same thing can happen to us spiritually. We get really sick. That poison of our, our past, that tape that runs through our head, makes us ill. We find ourselves infirm. And then, Jason, come help me out here. The very first show I did for TBA um, was 10 years ago. And uh, I, I told Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. I was the main character in that. And uh, grab that thing there, this right here. And I started the show off in one of these. Literally. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Go just all the way? make, yeah, here, just do something there. I'm, I'm not doing a Houdini where I'm trying to escape. Once you get it on there, don't go anywhere. Don't leave me. Can you fix the microphone that I just messed up? We have two hands. <laughs> you sure? Uh, stick it under the back of my ear there. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, there you go. He's so smart. But I started the show like this, my, my crazy character. Why would you call me mad, I would say. But I think if things go on long enough in this little scenario, we're building this, this tape running where we're, we're looking back even at what God has done and saying, oh, I hate this, I don't like this. Forget you, God, I don't, I don't think you know what you're doing. We get sick, we sit down, we get sick, we can't move ourselves around, somebody has to push us around, and then eventually we get to the place where we're just completely immobilized. We can't do anything we actually end up back. See, this was the risk for the Israelites. Where did, what did they want? To go back to slavery. That's what they were saying. We want to go back to what was terrible because it was, I don't know, familiar, 
There were some things about it that weren't so bad. But we'd rather be slaves to that which is terrible because it was familiar than be free, even though sometimes freedom is difficult. I'd rather trust the devil I know than the God that I'm sometimes unsure of because I can't see exactly what he's thinking and what he's doing. And I would say in a spiritual sense, that makes us crazy. It makes us a fool. What does God want for us? He wants for us to trust him unequivocally, to seek him in every single moment, every circumstance, every place, and to trust him with what he wants to do. Depend on him. See, guys, it's not a... It's not a behavior thing. It's not that I, need, I, 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 I want to act as if I trust God. It's that I really want to live and eat and breathe the presence of God. So much so that he informs every breath that I take and every moment of my life as much as possible. And if you find yourself in this place, whatever level that might be, you go, well, how do I get out of this? You ask, hey God, can you, can you help me out of this thing? But I think you gotta ask. Because something else I've learned about God is um, he is willing to let us struggle if we insist. He is willing to let us be rebellious if we insist. And there might be consequences to that, but he will not force us to come home. He will not force us to trust him. We have to choose to do so. And in that way, instead of being a fool who returns to their folly, folly, we become a wise person who returns to their God. That's who I want to be. That's who I want you to be. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for your word and these stories that uh, might seem like they're not really relevant to today, and yet we see your provision in them. We see your words to us. We can, we can recognize ourselves and identify ourselves in these stories, in these moments. And so, Lord, I pray that you will uh, just move in our hearts. Lord, illuminate us, reveal to us. Are we being gripey? Are we being complainers? 
Are we being unthankful for the ways in which you've moved and worked and are working and are acting and are leading in our lives? Lord, show us any place where that would be true. And may we have a heart that desires instead of returning to our folly, to our old ways or to our old thoughts or, or, or wallowing in the things of the past, Lord, that we will be those who instead look to where you're leading us in the future and see the hope and the promise of that and trust you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Joe Greason, and that's okay to leave. Don't sing, don't sing, don't sing, because it's my tradition on my birthday to sing for other people. So I'd like to do that this morning. Thanks for um, Tracy and Jason for letting me have a couple of minutes to do that. I'm going to sing uh, for you something from uh, my youth. Uh, back in the 18th century, and uh, it's from Psalm 71.
Then sings my soul. Oh.